no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't mean that weapons won't be formed. But what we do carry, the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. We are to take up our cross. So the burden, the pressure that we do feel in the presence of God, we get to make sure that that is the only thing that we're carrying. And then even though we're surrounded by enemies, it's, it's kind of a cruel joke for, for the enemy to think that he can actually prosper against us. The only way he can is if we believe it and we give him that permission. So sitting at the table permanently with the Lord helps us secure this mindset that the devil's just running a cute scheme over here. He, he, he might be on the line of scrimmage and, and you think that this is a game that you have to try to win with him, but he's out of bounds the whole time. So we have been meeting as a collective in what we call the table every single Wednesday for the entire year, actually. The Lord uh, really dropped it in my spirit when I had my mastermind space open. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all this free time. What am I gonna do? And God said, gather my people. And so for an entire year, we've been gathering faith-based entrepreneurs, uh, a room full of strangers that come together week by week, who some of which have become family, others drop in time to time as that like distant cousin. But when they come to the table, it's this place of safe haven. It's a place of communion. It's a place of just connecting over the real and the raw of what's going on. What's going on in the climate of the world? What's going on in the climate of our world, of our minds, of our hearts, of our spirits, of our business ecosystems and everything else that's happening as a becoming leader, right? None of us have figured it out. We're all on the journey. And so everyone has a voice at the table. And over the course of this year, we have had so many people come in who they wanna be there every single week and just don't have the capability, whether their schedule or whatever it is, and they're unable to be there and they want the they want a recording they want to listen and i'm like no like this is a sanctuary i initially was pretty steadfast i had no hearing from the lord that i was supposed to release it any other way that this was supposed to be a safe space and about eight and a half months in the Lord said, you can share now. And it was a conversation that I brought to the table because it's not mine to share. It's not Anthony's to share. It's a sacred space. And the conversations are getting richer and richer and richer because the presence dwells when we gather in this way. We know when two or more are gathered, there he will be. And he has always been. There's been prophetic understanding. There's been worship. There's been devout prayer. There's been healing that's happened. There's been storytelling. There's been testimony sharing. There's been, um, you know, lens of how do we get by with understanding of obedience, with understanding of discipline, with understanding of the good stuff, right? The rich stuff, the fruit bearing things that we get to experience on this side of heaven. So when we decided we're gonna start recording, I was just gonna do it once a month. And I brought it to the table and everyone was like, no, I want every single recording is so good. How are you gonna decipher when something's gonna happen or when someone's gonna say something that you just really fully need? So we now have a recorded sanctuary. And for those who know us as a mobilized church, this is not news because whenever people listen to virtual churches, they get to hear from the pastor every single week. But the variability on hearing the table is that it's not just the pastors. It's not just the minister. It's not just the people who we're bringing in for an episode. It's a collective. It's the whole body. 
And it's from people all over, from all different walks of life, from all different entrepreneurial backgrounds and all different elements and spaces in their faith journey too. And it's beautiful. It's so rich. And I really believe that you guys are going to get a behind the scenes. And this is an invitation. This is not a BTS. You don't have to stay behind the scenes. This is an invitation for you to come and dwell with us at the table. And so I hope that this ignites you enough to say, you know what? I want in on that conversation and your voice will be heard too. But most importantly, your heart will be brought into the union of all of us together. And that togetherness is something that entrepreneurs often experience the opposite of, which is isolation. So no more isolation in our journeys of entrepreneurial mission-driven leadership and no more isolation in our spiritual journeys. This is a time for us to truly commune and for everyone to get the microphone, which is different than the regular church, but it is a mobilized church. And it's the way that Jesus hung out with the people that he loved. And so the people that he was teaching, right? So we're here to teach. We're here to learn. We're here to talk, but we're also here to listen. Tune in to the Founder Collective Table and know you can go to the show notes below and get the invitation to come week by week. It's 12 o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. We love you. Thanks for joining us at the table. With the Brazil thing, I've often thought about it a lot in my travels in the Navy over to Europe and to see their kind of lifestyle where they take the siesta every day and like really are intentional with time off. Uh, I think they do that well. I think they're really intentional with family time. They do that so well. It's nothing to walk into a restaurant that's family owned in the evening and see the entire family sitting there at the dinner table eating together. Meanwhile, they're serving other people. Like it's just commonplace. And I think about this a lot. I even talked about this in my sermon on Sunday about how we let American culture dictate things sometimes. It just becomes what it is. Like, for example, you know, our kids think that the wise men are at the nativity, were at Jesus' birth because of a nativity scene. Uh, They think that the manger was wooden because of the nativity scene. Like, American culture begins to even dictate the Bible to us if we're not careful. So just some things that are going through my head, like how do we unwind some of these things and get back to the purpose? Uh, family is not at the forefront of American American culture right now, whether we like it or not. A lot of the movements right now are not connected to the American movement. So being very careful with that and going into this Christmas season, how do we tap into what Jesus really wants us to see. I heard even somebody say this yesterday, and this frustrates me. Um, it was a very religious spirit text, or it was a post about someone who was celebrating Christmas with Krampus and or whatever it is. And they said, uh, Christ hates Christmas. And it was because that religious spirit, like because of what Christmas has become. And I think that's such a broken mentality is Christ doesn't hate Christmas. He wants us to be different and to be an example of what Christmas should be instead of being up in arms about what it's become. Sorry, we just jumped right in today. No, it's rich. Um, and, And some of the things that you alluded to from the nativity and our perspective of that, and even like the time segmentation of what happened when, um, has really, I've had a lot of undoing this Christmas, um, Chris, underneath that same nativity book that I was mentioning to you, why in the nativity, um, with David Jeremiah. And I, 
I get to question, we get to question what we've been taught, what we've been raised under. I'm, I've been pretty effective in doing that connected to tradition and connected to um, expectations from others that are essentially projected on you based on how they think you should be celebrating your holiday, what they think you should be doing connected to Christmas or gifting or not gifting or any of those things. But um, it's been really fun to question with the Lord, like, what is it that you you really want us to be leaned into obviously it's your it's your son it's it's jesus and and his birth and his coming his his coming back and the posture of our spirit in connection to that coming back so anybody else had some cool revelations or just some expectations or lack thereof around their christmas i think thinking about christianity connected to christmas on jesse i've seen those gears moving it's I just can like, share something to help go for it. Just how much I want to stir up today is what my question <laughs> is. You know me. Let's stir that pot. Let's go. Um, I actually don't have a lot of attachment. I grew up in church, so I have the whole church thing, kind of how it was handed. I also had the American dream version of trade in the media. And my actual familial experience was somewhere in the middle, just lacking anything that could have really been great so um being remarried having a blended family of five kids and my wife and i essentially we don't birth babies together we birth businesses we've we've been friends for probably seven six seven years and we just keep birthing businesses and so we're constantly having to be the ones to not judge ourselves on what holidays look like for us like we we were planning to do the tree and all that with the kids and then we had some we didn't have a, a couple other ones and then we just had a busy week every client needed something and then by the time we got around to it it was just us in the house we didn't have any kids um i was up late the night before doing meetings so she started just dragging stuff out of the storage uh i met her downstairs and we just we put it together and it's like, you know what, it's it's here. And when the kids come over, they'll kind of be surprised. And then all the kids are older, they're 10 and up, and all they want are gift cards, or they're not even sure what they want. So, um, and it's our first Christmas, and it's our second Christmas married, but we had only been married like 30 days last year. So, yeah, growing up, I really had nothing to depend on as far as tradition, and I'm kind of carrying that. I'm just trying to, we're trying to be in a spot where we just, we feel connected, like what we really want for Christmas as far as connection, expectations, and just being good with ourselves with how it goes, um, much less all the other pressures. With church specifically, I've been a musician since I was 12 in church, and Christmas is like the hardest time for a musician you feel like you don't get any of the lord because it's all uh performance really for traditions and i just i told everybody six months ago made a deal with my wife i was like i'm not doing any christmas weekend services i'm just we're gonna be home and we're just gonna have home life for christmas eve and not worry about this tell everybody don't come at me with obligations because i'm not going to be able to say no in the moment so i'm telling you now no <laughs> not doing it so that that's where we are this year. Yeah, it's funny how those expectations get put in place, like especially within the church, right? 
you walk in and just people expect the Christmas carols. And this is what we did last year, the year before. Um, last week, Morgan had one that she was going to sing in the in the thing. And then on the night before, just canned it. Like, we're not doing it. We're not bowing down to that anymore. And then I came in and preached a sermon that it talked about the wise men, but it was not your typical Christmas service. And it was just like, okay, God, if this is what you want to do and undo, um, yeah, I think that's, it is hard because we do get put in those boxes and there's expectations from everybody because this is what it has to be. You know, back to what we talked about earlier, those expectations can put us in places where um, relationships are limited, even ours with God sometimes. So, Chris, you had something, bro. What's up? Um, uh, my expectation is just miracles. Like my whole view of Christmas is transformed. Um, and it just feels like a whole new thing to me, like a, a new thing that I'm learning for the first time. Um, because obviously I'm, I'm a, a new, a new believer. So Christmas to me has always been about presents and food and all that stuff. Um, and then after last year with my mom getting saved on Christmas day and getting delivered from 35 years of drug and alcohol addiction, it's just like it Christmas just took a whole different turn. Like I am not even thinking about Christmas trees presence. It's like, what's the even point of presence? Like, I don't want presence. I want his presence. Like, that's what I want. That's the the greatest gift um, that I got to experience last year. And so uh, it's interesting because I'm at Starbucks right now. We're in Newport Beach because my dad flew out here uh, because he wants to move out to California to pursue Jesus and uh and have a relationship with him and so he's out here he's across the street right now interviewing at a job to transfer and uh while he's here over the next week or two we're going to find a place to move into he's going to go back to uh, colorado and then drive out here and move out here in the next two or three weeks um so he could pursue god and uh he came out here four four months ago and uh as we were driving to the airport we were talking about like how to hear from God. And he said that God was telling him he wants him out here and he wants him in community and he wants him in the church. And uh, he's just been so scared to do it. And so I know God is aligning everything. So uh, last year, my mom came out here, got saved and then moved out here and she's totally transformed. And uh, this year, my dad's coming out here and I believe he will get the job and find a place to live and uh, his whole life will transform. So uh, yeah, it's just my expectation is just that God's going to do his thing. I have no attachment in any way to, to Christmas anymore the way that I used to because, um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I just, <laughs> it has no effect on me. Like I like the lights and I love the music and, and all that stuff, but it's just such a different experience. It's crazy. I, I can't even verbalize. I can't put it into words what it is because it's something so new that I've never experienced. So, but I just expect miracles. I expect God do his thing. And it's so crazy because I came to LA three years ago, found Jesus in December. Uh, my mom came last year in December, found Jesus. And now my dad is coming in December to move out here to pursue Jesus. And so it's just like, and so I'm just like, wow. Um, the like restoration is amazing. So, yep, that's it. 
Man, I think that's so crazy, Chris, during a time when so many people are, you know, either grieving family or what family is to them or not. Um, and that societal expectation that like everyone's supposed to gather around a community, like the table and it's mom and dad and the kid and like this one big happy family. And I think God's perspective on, fa on family, yes, that, and also understanding that out of people's brokenness, that there's places like this that are also like family and, um, to encourage people that they're desire for that father, for that mother, for those siblings. Like it doesn't always look like the picture perfect family. And yet God will also redeem that picture perfect family just in a different time frame. Like I know there was many, many years, decades, in fact, for you, where you just wanted a mom, like you just wanted to be parented. And it was in your finding that your mom didn't have to be and play that motherly role, even though she should have, but she chose different things that the father, our Abba, can be both and. Um, and so I'm just processing my own dad and like his salvation as you're sharing that, because that's one of my Christmas miracle wishes always is that he would just come into his own restoration and freedom. Um, for those who are here that are new, I see lots of new faces. Welcome, Stan. Alana, I don't think I've seen you here at least in a long time, maybe at the very out gate. Um, I'm so excited. Joe did. Andrea, your otter pilot thing keeps asking me to record. I'm totally up for it. I hope you enjoy. Sabrina, great to see you. I'd love for any of you guys who haven't been in our formalized, unformal scenario. Um, if you don't know how this works, it's basically just come one, come all. And it's a, a space for us to commune as if we were at the table, um, sharing what it is that is kind of our familiar understanding of Christmas is what the table is on the conversation right now. But if you feel something in your heart that is something different, um, maybe it's the reflection of 2023. Maybe it's the vision casting of 2024. This is a space where we get to have those conversations and be open about it. If you're carrying something heavy, if you need prayer requests, um, we're all here for that particular reason and allowing the Holy Spirit to move as he wants to. My name is Stan, and that'll just work, you know, Stan, like, you know, share Madonna, Oprah, just Stan will work. Uh, I am the creator of what is called the Jesus Entrepreneur Experience, and uh, I'm very old. I've been a longtime teacher, missionary, broadcaster, business performance coach, and uh, God grabbed me from Arizona and put me in Carolina. So I'm now in Arizona, I say. And uh, we moved here about a year and a half ago, totally unknown, and uh, started up again. And uh, so I'm trying to get acquainted with the people in the Triangle area. Um, I have about four or five operations going, and one of them is called What It Takes Radio, which is to teach people how to be world-class broadcasters. And right now, I'm just launching the Jesus Entrepreneur Experience which is about a four-hour course on how to be a world-class Jesus entrepreneur. So uh, uh, I was recommended to Tamara, and she said, well, join this group, and you'll begin to see some people. So that's what I am and a little bit of what I do. Well, welcome, Stan. Thank you. It's good to be here. Come on, somebody else. Maybe I'll share next. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Anthony. No, no worries. My wife does it all the time. No, I'm <laughs> so I'm Sabrina. I've been here a few times, but I don't I don't think I've shared before. Um, 
So let's see a couple different things, a quick story and just like a little bit about me. My husband and I live in Belize. Actually, he's a federal agent. So we live here at the embassy. And yeah, just talking about like Christmas and just differences with like secular Christmas and Christian Christmas, I guess I would say. We, I sent out an invite to like everyone at the embassy about the Christmas Eve service at our church. Like, hey, if anyone's looking for a service, you know, join us. Literally no one responded. And then our neighbor posted about um, like a Christmas Eve gathering they're going to do in like the community center. And like 20 people are like, yeah, we'll be there. We're going to bring drinks and food. And I, I, I was literally like offended. And God reminded me, like, you don't have to be offended for me. Like, you're okay. Um, but I'm just like, ah, like frustrated by the fact that they're celebrating Christmas, but like not really celebrating what Christmas is about. So that was just like a little side story. Um, and then more from like a personal standpoint, Tamara, like what you just shared was like, okay, God. Um, so in terms of like family and what the expectations of Christmas are, I was very blessed to grow up in a home where, um, we just had a great family. It was a small family, like 10, 15 of us. We would go to South Carolina, but my parents were married for 40 years and we always had amazing Christmases. Well, then um, in 2020, my sister said, well, not suddenly, but she passed away from colorectal cancer at 37. Um, and then in the subsequent 10 months, my grandmother, my aunt and my father all died. And so uh, I don't have like that close knit family that I used to have. And like Christmas will never look the same that like of how I envisioned it to look as I got older. Um, I got married two and a half years ago, but this will be the first Christmas that my husband and I are spending just the two of us. Um, and then I also had a miscarriage in March. So like I, we were supposed to have a baby at this time. So there's definitely like a lot of emotion. And I, I've, I feel like I've been so grateful that God has kind of carried me through the season. Very contrary to Chris, the fall has notoriously been very hard for me since my sister was diagnosed seven years ago that happened 10 days before Christmas. And then the fall just seems like a very heavy season for me. And I'm just like waiting for that restoration for things to change. Um, and I was so hopeful, like this was the year that, you know, we were supposed to have a baby in November and I was like, okay, this is, it's all going to change. And it, it hasn't changed. Um, but it's like, yeah, just learning, like you guys are saying, right. Like the whole purpose behind Christmas and like being able to create new tradi traditions and really being able to like seek God because we actually don't have the crazy chaos of like having five children and like a blended family and 15 places to go. Like it's just him and I here. Um, and so, yeah, it's way different than what I would have envisioned, but God is also teaching me so much about, yeah, just like the truth of what Christmas is about and how to kind of have um, I don't know, like learn to just be grateful for the simplicity around what we can experience. So that's a little bit about me. I'm going to use a word real quick, because I think this represents what we are and it's community. Mm -hmm. I think it's a word that we gloss over so many times. And so if you think about a, a holiday, we do a holiday and we observe or remember something. So Christmas is to remember Jesus, the gift we got, and then now to go to the words of Jesus, what did Jesus say to do? And when we do it, remember him. 
I know what you're going to say because we all do it and it's communion, right? So we think about how we do communion at church. I'm going to undo some traditional religious things really quickly because if I asked you how to do communion, every one of us has done it a certain way. We have a specific grape juice or wine, depending on where you come from, a a specific kind of bread, um, and it comes down to the elements. So even within our religious things, we get very stuck, but I am in, in belief of he, it wasn't what he was saying of when you take this and when you take this, do it in remembrance of me. What he was saying is when you are in community with one another and breaking bread, which you're going to do every day, when you're spending community with people, which I'm saying is important, I want you to do this in my name, in remembrance of me. So then <laughs> if we now are connecting this holiday in remembrance of Jesus, then Really, this holiday is not about the gifts. It's not about it's about community. It's about the communal moment. So hearing Jesse and Davina, I know him intimately, I know their story. They're a different community. Hearing Chris's different community, knowing Tamara's different community, um, Sabrina, hearing your different community, the power is that you're in that community. And no matter what it looks like, we could try to get everybody into a church service. But even in those church services, we neglect what the day is supposed to be about in community. There's many who will be gathered around a tree with tons of gifts, with family. And guess what? There will be zero community had because their focus is not on the people around them. It's what they're getting from those people. And then that will validate or invalidate how this person feels about it. And realistically, all that boils down to one word. I had a phone call with a, a man yesterday who's in a struggle in his marriage and all the thing. And I let him talk with his daughter. And I, by the end of it, I said, you know what? All comes back to one word, which will continue to be the issue throughout humanity. Insecurity. Why do we respond or react to the ways that people do to us? It's because of our own insecurities. Why do people have power uh, mongering issues? Like, I want to be an authority. Generally, it's based out of an insecurity. How do we react and respond to our spouse when they do something? Many times, it's not because they did something. It's because of a broken insecurity in us from time before. And Christmas can be the worst of the worst of that, because if we're insecure in who we are, if we don't get the right gift, if we don't have people respond to us, if we don't get the right Christmas card, if there's a major, just a plethora of things, we get stuck in our own insecurity instead of being secure in our identity in the reason for the season. So then you're, you've become very strong in the space you're in, in the community you're in. Wow. Sabrina, your 2023 was a roller coaster. But you know what? The people God has put around you is for two things. One, there were some shoulders that were there for you to lean on in times of maybe that's your husband or other people. But then there's also people who needed to witness firsthand front row seat your faith in a moment where theirs would have been tested or they're like, how in the world would you even hold fast to that? You've had a Christmas service all year long. So getting them to your Christmas Eve service is just that's a place in time, but they've witnessed your Christmas service all year long. So don't neglect your Christmas Eve moments. Don't neglect you've been a star. You've been directing people in a destination for 2023. The wise men were not searching for a service. They were not searching for, actually, they got hung up because they went to the place where they thought the king of the Jews would be in Jerusalem. 
the star didn't direct them to Jerusalem. Actually, from where they were coming from, the star would have been on the other side of Jerusalem at Bethlehem. We can get stuck in our expectations of where he's supposed to be instead of continuing in the direction of the star. And that's the cause for all of us as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. Are we being a star to direct people to Christ or are we directing them to a location of expectation? Okay, that's a lot. So, I love that, Anthony. And I love what you just said about, is he where we expect him to be? And to further your thought and curiosity and breaking mindsets is, is he even how we expect him to be? This was a big reason why people, and, and there's a whole sect of people out there that still are missing who Jesus is because he didn't show up how they expected him to show up. And I grew up in church, so I've had so much undoing that has had to happen to truly get to know the heart of the Father and my role in this thing and, and his role in this thing. And I see so many people battle with faith when really they're just battling with, with wrong expectations of how Jesus is, how the Lord is, who, who they are, and, and how we're supposed to engage in this thing. Just an, an easy, broad example that I had to undo was that the American dream teaches us that you can be whatever you want to be. Where in ninth grade, I was in a career education class and they helped me discover what career I wanted to, to get. They're like, you know, what's fun for you? I'm like, roller coasters. They're like, you should be a mechanical engineer and, and design and build them. I was like, cool. I only applied to Virginia Tech. I got in based on a seventh grade SAT score. And like, that was the plan. It failed miserably. God, why is my plan failing? I'm working hard here. Um, we're told to, to make all the plans. And then if you're if you're really faithful in church and you, you really got faith and you pray hard enough, God will do some miracles in your life. And we're constantly asking God to do miracles to fix when our plan goes crazy. But the problem is we've got the whole thing backwards. The Bible says, God says, I know the plans. I have for you to give you a hope and a purpose that um, God directs our steps. A man may think his he knows his way, but God directs the steps. And and pardon me for my 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 loose scripture quoting here. Um, you can Google it and figure out the reference. But Jesus came like he did. Also, he could die, raise up, set us up to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in us be, be the power center, the loving community that was going to go out and change, change the globe. And so God did everything so that we could do miracles in his name, that we could be the tangible Jesus to people, and he's just telling us where to go, follow Holy Spirit, where to go. And when you get it right, Instead of me building a kingdom and a plan and asking God to do miracles in it, instead just going, God, where do you have me going where you have miracles designed for me to be a part of? And instantly everything changes. Your version of success changes. Who you meet, what happens in the room changes. I mean, Anthony, Tamara, we could tell stories of just crazy things happens, happening, but I started wondering, I started learning that I, when I enter a room, Everything changes. And I have the potential to change everybody's life when I enter a room. And I start thinking that way. And it's 
I just had to rewrite how I thought God showed up and like who he is to me and how he's supposed to engage in my life and getting him right fixed, fixed me. And now this whole world, like everybody I'm looking at right now is relationships after grabbing this mindset, not um, career or building a business or whatever. It's just, I don't know. I couldn't tell you how I got here. I'm just, the Lord's leading me. I'm just trying to be the version of Jesus he created to me to be whenever I encounter somebody. Ooh, there's a lot there. You know, I was thinking of a word that, um, you know, a lot of us, if you've if been on uh, the conferences and there's a universal thought out there, there's a lot of people seeking the universe, a new age thinking has got, in, got into Christianity. I hear this word a lot in a lot of places, manifest. Uh, you can manifest it. You can make it happen. Um, I almost consider that like a cuss word because then we get in a place of our own flesh trying to manifest something that God's not intended. Um, when I think of manifest, I think of another usage of it as a noun. When a manifest, if you see it, it will tell you um, the actual definition as an invoice of cargo for a vehicle. So it will tell you what's on board. So realistically, instead of trying to manifest things, we should ask the Holy Spirit what's on the manifest. Because that also, if you look at the manifest, it not only includes the cargo listed, it tells the destination. So now instead of telling the Holy Spirit what we're going to do and when we're going to do it and how we want it, we begin to ask the Holy Spirit, what's the destination, the direction, and what have you put in me and equipped me for the time I'm supposed to be there? Talk about shifting and changing every step of your day. It's what Jesus did. He asked the Holy Spirit what was in the manifest. I got to go heal the daughter of Jairus. Let's go. And then in that moment, some woman touches the hem of his garment. It wasn't about the destination. It was about the direction. And I think what Jesse just touched on is so powerful in being present. You know, we talked about that. You talked about earlier, Chris, about seeking the presence, but understanding that he is present. And then being present in these moments, whether it's Christmas, whether it's in our business, our family, all of those places, the power of that, like we are truly taking that presence when we're present. And I think that is such a powerful, I don't want to say tool, but realization for all of us. Like we are destined to be in this space right here, right now. You're going to walk out of this conversation and you're going to walk into something else, another conversation. Um, it may be an argument with somebody that you work with. It may be a conflict with a spouse this evening. It may be a great moment over coffee with somebody else. But whatever it is, like there's purpose in all of these things. So somebody else. Monty, you've been quiet. Just processing. I'm pro I'm in a um, interesting experience this year for Christmas, and so I know the Lord is teaching me already um, what He's trying to reveal through it. We um, left tradition, kind of like we quit the American dream um, about eight eight years ago now, and what that looked like to us when it came to Christmas, because. Similar to Sabrina, I had like a big family and we all got together and that was how we celebrated. And the more gifts, the merrier. <laughs> and I remember for years prior to me and my husband getting married, um, 
for, uh, we dated for about four and a half years before we got married. And every Christmas I anticipated that he was going to propose every single Christmas. I'm like, there's no better time. My whole family's there. Like I wrote this story, right? I had created this idea. Um, meanwhile, he'd take me on these extravagant vacations and they were amazing. And one particular time he brought his friend who was a professional underwater photographer. Come on guys. Like, it's going to happen. He's going to, it's going to be like a clamshell opening and there's going to be a pearl ring inside, right? Like I knew that I knew that I knew he was going to propose to me underwater in Puerto Rico. Yeah, that didn't happen either. So I'm like, what is happening? So that whole trip, I remember feeling like my joy, which you guys see emanating out of me. I didn't know what joy was. My happiness was through the ground. I was just like, gosh, I cannot believe this. Sure, I was having momentary fleeting fun, but inside of my heart, I was so like shocked and hurt. Then Christmas, I would be whipping the mashed potatoes. And my dad, who also would anticipate that he was going to propose, would come over to me and see me secretly crying because I didn't get the thing that I wanted. And so it wasn't until about four years into our marriage that I realized, like, I don't I don't want any of this and none of it is good for me. And I think us dissecting that and being okay with really um, no different than boundaries, saying no more. I'm not going to do this particular tradition anymore. It doesn't sit well with me. It's not, it's not, it's not about the holiday. It's, it's honestly just about the action and the spirit of conviction that's connected to what God wants to birth through you this season. We think of the nativity and the coming of Christ and his birthday, but he wants to birth something in you, through you, and it might not look like you anticipated. And so we started um, traveling. We would go out of the country and on into having kiddos. We weren't here. And so we had plans to be out of the country again this year, as always. It's like my most sacred sabbatical time with my family every year. And it didn't come to fruition. And my immediate response was like a little teenager, like, oh, I can't believe this isn't happening. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, what do you mean? I have to be home for Christmas. I don't even know what that looks like because it has been so long since we've just been here. And um, because I've gotten so good at when I travel, that's when I'll rest. I, I rest all, all the time. I rest every morning. I rest. I, I operate out of rest. But I mean, like, no, no entrepreneurship, <laughs> no opening my computer. Computer. I am always on um, when I'm home because my office is like earshot from me. And so it's like, that's the place that I thrive though. Like I love creation. I love being in that place. And so taking this like moment, momentary sabbatical, I have to be out of it. So to be here this Christmas, I've done a lot of just like work with the Lord and just, God, what is it that you want me to receive this Christmas? What's the gift that you want me to see? And already just today, I'm like, get to do things. I like cleaned out my my um, bathroom, like drawers. I cleaned out the playroom with the kids. And um, I just realized that oftentimes we're moving so quickly and we're also trying to get out of a scenario uh, because we want to be comfortable. And God is trying to get into that scenario with you. 
so that he can teach you how to be comfortable regardless of circumstances and that peace that transcends all understanding. So you could pluck me out right now and take me into a, a prison cell and I still find peace in it. I'd be like, throw me a book, throw me a bone. I got the Bible in here. I'm good. Right. So like thinking about what does that look like for you in this season that regardless of it, you're at a holiday party, regardless if you're at the church service on Christmas Eve and they're not singing the song that you want, regardless if you're at a family table that you thought would be peaceful and it ends up being chaotic or vice versa. What you thought was chaotic and you came in walking on the eggshells is now has peace and you're like, is this real? Is this person really, really? Or are they about to just like stab me in the back? Any of the things that are going on in your flesh, I just encourage you, like Jesse was saying, like, how are you the the person who is coming in to transform those situations? Because you expect God to show up and God's going to show up through you if you're in that space of surrender. So I'm I'm in a fun spot for Christmas this year, and that is home and um, rewriting what was tradition and story for my family. What, it, what does it look like when they come down our stairs Christmas morning versus what it was like when I was little? You know, I'm reminded of a story, Tamara. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Of a younger bearded pastor who was in a church and thought that's what church was supposed to be. And then God took us out of that church and put us in a home and we started doing the session. And then I said, this is what church was supposed to be. I'm never going back into a church. And then he took me back into a church. All he's done for you this season is he took you out of it to undo what it was but we get into a place where we don't want to go back. And he said, that's not what I did it for. I undid you so you could go back and be a testament to what it's supposed to be. Watch out that God don't open a door that you don't want to walk through because of what it used to be. And he's saying, I don't need you to go back into what it used to be. I need you to go be what it is. I could have called you and told you that. Good, but somebody here needs to hear that too. So good. I had to walk back into church. I, ref- I I argued with God. I took an interim role for six months because it took that. I argued. To I argued for you too. I was like, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Because we had gotten, we needed that session season. We needed the home church season. Um, Tamara and her husband were a huge part of that. Jesse and Davina was a part of that because we needed that undoing season to realize why. And you have to get out of it sometimes to realize the why behind it. But he doesn't want to reveal the why and then not put you back into it so you can be an agent of change. That's why you're a a Christian entrepreneur, because the entrepreneur field right now is moving in a direction. He doesn't want to change all that. He wants to change you and then put you in that space so you begin to affect it. If you put a magnet in the middle of something, in the middle of a group of metal, guess what? That metal will respond to it. It just will. It has no choice but to it. So he is polarizing you. He's changing what's positive and negative in your life. The things that you used to be attracted to, now that he changes your polarity, the moment you get in there, it will repel some things that used to attract to you, and it will attract some things that didn't used to attract to you. Like It's a shifting you, and people are watching and noticing. This has to begin to happen in the business world. It's happened in the church, or it should have, But nobody sees it because nobody's there. So they have to begin to take notice of what is going on around us, in us, through us, in those spaces. Anthony, your glasses. Sorry, I was going to say, Anthony's glasses have definitely made me more attractive to him, you know, with those changes. So I applaud that. 
Thanks. Go ahead, Stan. As a longtime business coach, there's been more than one time in which I've kind of had to look people in the eye and just simply say, the reason you're here is not the reason you're here. Simple as that. That's the truest statement ever. And we don't like to hear that, Stan. Oh, we don't like to hear that. That was really, really good. Um, what was I going to say uh, to you, Anthony? Oh, I want to recommend a book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. What Anthony was talking about with the changing, um, the big change that is the premise of the book. This guy's been a pastor pretty much his whole life, uh, still is pastoring, is that in all the activity and doing of church, him and his wife were frustrated. His wife just looked at him one day and said, I'm not going to church anymore, not because I don't love Jesus, but because the church is just too much. Um, I'm tired of it. And the big change that they made was going from, from doing ministry, just being active, to just being with God. And that was a big shift for me of going from my identity, from what I'm doing and feeling like I've got to be a part of a certain amount of things. My activities got to be right and what it looks like. And that's usually when we get a sour taste in our mouth about things, whether it's family or church or work, because what we're doing is not giving us life. And we're on this hamster wheel of trying to keep the charade up or whatever it is, instead of just being good with who we are and just being and then being with the Lord, getting who he is. And then going back in, because Anthony, you said this, you're like, basically, you're not there for the doing. It's it's basically because of you're you're supposed to be in there and be that thing it's supposed to be. And that's exactly right. We got to get our identity right with the father, really get that thing good, cemented. And then when you move, it's all different because you're different. Yeah. That, so I don't have the emotionally healthy discipleship, but the emotionally healthy church by Peter Scazzaro. It's the same guy. And he has the emotionally healthy spirituality, the most emotionally healthy discipleship. We don't talk about that enough. We go straight to spiritual and try to, but our emotions, when we're not emotionally healthy, it dictates our relationship with God. It dictates our ability to communicate that to others. Like emotionally unhealthiness is a problem in the world around us. So how do we begin to demonstrate that is getting that health within us. Go, Rachel. Yeah, that kind of goes into what I was thinking. So in a nutshell, without spilling my marbles all over, um, I I got to announce on Facebook that I'm going to be a best-selling author next year or not long after that. And like had this huge mountaintop experience. Like I don't have a huge following, but over 600 people saw it. Hundreds of people commented. Um, and like a week later, like totally crashed. Like there is something without sharing all the pieces just in even like the finances behind it like something crazy happened and my publisher knows and like I can't even I can't even explain it other than like I know it's a spiritual thing and it's a spiritual battle we're all in right and so it's just like all these crazy things happening this week and this week was super super hard but as the tears are pouring God reminded me, this is just another distraction, another distraction trying to take you away from what I'm calling you to do. Um, and then I had an amazing interview for somebody that's going to be 
her daughter's story is going to be inside of our story. And like, I seriously got off the Zoom call. It was awesome. It was draining. It was emotional. And I couldn't breathe. I've never had this experience before. But like another needing to go back to the Lord and be like, you have me in this. You have a purpose for this. Um, And kind of go with it for me is we moved. We moved out of the Midwest. God put us here in Virginia Beach. And so Christmas is going to be so different this year. And walking that with my four children. But the amazing thing is while there's drama back home, I'm not in the drama. We're able to focus on what really, why are we celebrating Christmas? Even my dad's, we're going, we're going to go see him um, in Florida. And he's like, I didn't get everything done I wanted. And it's not going to be Christmas. And I was like, dad, Christmas is together. We're going to be together. We're going to be sharing with the kids about Jesus. And so I think in this season, there's so many, like you guys have talked about, the emotions, the distractions, the the true meaning behind it all. And the amazing thing is, is that God's really been really having me teach my kids this year is it's not just the birth, what came after. That was the beginning. And so just really able to walk that out. Like I have a boy about going to be 10 and he's not given his life to the Lord, but he's had so many questions in this season. And I think had we not been plucked out of that and put here, he would have the distraction of cousins and buying all the gifts and getting all the gifts. And so I think it's beautiful in all of it. Um, but really focusing on God has us set here for a reason. And we don't always know the reason, but being able to be okay with that and keep taking that next step in what he has in when even when it's hard, like I have family that they're like, oh, well, maybe you're just not meant to do this. Maybe you just need to just stop. And it's like, no, this is exactly why I need to do this. I have people that are reaching out to me and they need this and my family needs this. And so just being able to cry before the Lord, but thank him in all of this, that there is something coming. Amen. I talked with this on Sunday uh, with the respect of the three wise men, but I said, there's so much power in counsel, wise counsel. If you look at Proverbs, there's so many scriptures on wise counsel, but just as much it talks about having wisdom and wise counsel, it talks about an abundance of counselors. And I shared with this from the perspective of the wise men. He didn't send a wise man. There was a group of wise men now, Going back to the American culture dictating, there was three wise men, right? Why do we think that? It doesn't say that in Scripture anywhere because there were three gifts. So we assume there was three wise men, Uh, but that's not true. But there was an abundance of men. There was more than one that were seeking something. So I'm sure there were conversations on the way. Are we? Is this the star? Are we going the right place? And there's so much power in that in our life, because I think so many people are stuck. Did God tell me to do this? Did God say, do this? Did he tell me to go here? Am I supposed to do this? And Christians constantly are stuck in this place. Like, I don't know if it's God telling me, I don't know if it's the chicken I ate too late last night uh, and I'm turning into a gremlin. I don't know what's driving me. I don't know if it's somebody else's success because all these things, I don't know if it's insecurity. And I think there's so much power in what you're talking about, Rachel, is getting people in your corner of different perspectives, but also that can hear God. And you know that and having those safe spaces to talk about the direction in your life, because there's three things he gives us, the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, the Bible. And then he gives us a community of people. That's why he said, don't forsake the gathering together. 
That's why he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there also. That's the power, coming back to that word, community. When you have a group of people who are seeking him, the way those wise men did, there's a journey along the way to come together, begin to speak that, and to have the Holy Spirit, when you feel that, and I, I think the Holy Spirit saying this, and having other Spirit-filled believers around you say, wow, I I believe in that. Or mm, what about this? Because sometimes you'll have somebody that will see through that insecurity or that emotional issue or whatever it may be. Um, so surrounding yourself with the right group of people, not everybody that thinks like you, but has a different perspective. I think that's why uh, Proverbs, I forget which one it says, but it says you can wage a war with uh, wise, with wisdom, I believe it is, but you can guarantee a victory with an abundance of counselors. If all those counselors had the same piece of information, that, that wisdom, then why do you need more than one? It's because every one of us, that wisdom comes from different directions. So having groups of people who arrived at this search of Jesus from different places all speaks to the wealth of that community of people that aren't aligned like each other. If you think the old communities you had... Um, a metal worker, you had a baker, you had all these things, and the whole community was taken, uh, taken care of because of the abundance of gifts, because of the abundance of wisdom gained from different directions. And I think we can get really bad at surrounding ourselves with people who have the same wisdom that we do, same thought processes, same, and then we're limited whether we like it or not. Our church services look like that. Sometimes our, our friend circles look like that. We need people who can challenge us can edify us, encourage us, exhort us. Um, that's what the church is. So I think that's important, especially in some of those big decisions. If we're like, God, did you tell me this? Man, begin to put people in your life that you can share, that can pray with you on that. Uh, and always coming back to that direction. Sometimes what you do, uh, one of the advantages of being really old is that you begin to learn that there are some really hard truths and uh, I remember I was uh, I was recommended to a gentleman and his uh, and his sister who were trying to run a family business, and the accountant had said they're really having troubles. And uh, it wasn't really their fault. Uh, there were some things that happened in the marketplace and a variety of things. So I was sitting down with him, and he was going through some of the situations that they were in. And uh, he taught me and I taught him because finally I just, again, my old proverbial, you know, shiny head spectacles, eyeball to eyeball, simply saying, you got to remember, adversity is always part of the plan. And then he said to me, well, I guess we're right on plan then, aren't we? <laughs> and uh, that is true. That is true. And uh, I think part, part, part of the reason... Uh, the celebration of heaven is that someday it is the realization that, you know, uh, Julian of Norwich said, all will be well. But right now, it feels a whole lot like hell. And uh, that's just part of the way life will be. And that's why uh, uh, Saint Entrepreneur Paul said, actually... <laughs> We don't know it now, but someday we'll be more than conquerors. Not only will we win, but we'll crush them. That's nice to know sometimes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Come on with it, Kim. 
Hi, everybody. Um, so I had a few things that I wrote down kind of in, in all of this, and it's, you know, my own lessons um, lately. And so it's always fun to jump in here. I haven't been in here in a couple of weeks, but it always kind of reconfirms the things that are happening in my own life. And I wrote down things, you know, um, patience and waiting on God. You know, he asked us to come under his, his wing. And, you know, if you know the story of Deborah and the mantle, um, you know, coming under this banner that he has for us and that we're not at war against things, you know, we're at war, um, the things that are happening in the world, it's not our war. He's fighting and we can come under his wings and work with him. And so, you know, I think sometimes when we're given, especially as an, as a visionary and a creator, I'm given a vision for something and I see it so clearly. And it used to be that I would question whether or not it was him. Is this him calling me to do this? Or is this just my desire to want to do something because I love to create? And what I found is that most of the time it is him calling me. But the expectation that I put on the calling is always where I get into trouble. And so when we talk today about, you know, needing to be in a place, you know, him changing you to be able to be in that space, when we come, when we're called to do something and we're excited to do it, and there comes a point when it doesn't go like we thought it would go, that is a place where usually there's something in me that still needs to transform in order for me to be the person in the space that I'm going, that he's called me to go. Um, I need to be in this, this transformational space in order to be the person to be able to do the job he's asking me to do. And I just have to keep reminding myself of that. I know that in my head over and over and over, but the, the heart part of that is so hard because as a human, it's so hard not to have an expectation, not to want something faster than he wants it. And so I have to keep coming back to this place when I feel that that time where I feel like it's adversity or I feel like the enemy is trying to take me out or whatever it might be. I've been working on stopping and going into that secret place and just really taking the time to sit and listen and be silent. And, you know, you had made the comment, the other gentleman made the comment, adversity is always part of the plan. Absolutely, I believe that. But I believe instead of viewing things as a burden, we need to view those things with honor. I'm honored to be in this place, Lord. I'm honored to be in this place of adversity where you get to refine me, where you get to make me into the person that you want me to be so that I can do the work that you want me to do. And maybe my cousin just said this to me today. Maybe if instead of viewing everything as hard and, and terrible and adversity as bad and it's hurtful, what if we switch the narrative? What if we switch the perspective? And every time we felt that way, we said, Lord, I'm honored to be here. It's hard to be here and I don't want to be here. And this isn't my expectation, but Lord, I am honored that you have chosen me to be in this place this hard place of refining so that I can do your work. And so those were just my thoughts that I had as, as we were all talking. Mm. You know, that scripture in Psalm says he makes a table in the presence of my enemies. Doesn't say he takes your enemies away. Doesn't say he takes the battle away. What he says is in the waiting moment right here, I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to prepare you and I'm going to make your enemies wait. 
They're not going to attack you while you eat at my table. I'm going to give you the provision necessary because there's a victory coming. That's that waiting moments. There are, it's okay in the midst of a struggle to say, okay, I'm, I'm famished. I'm beat down. That's the place, the quiet place when we get to, and he begins to restore and refill and in that space. So then we can step into that battle. Sometimes we get so focused on the, on the enemy and we've like, God, why won't you remove this? And he said, just stop. They need to be there because there's something in you that needs to be revealed. There's something to you that needs to be revealed. Just realize that I am giving you everything you need to walk in. So maybe this is a space not to remove the battle, but to rest and prepare. Yeah. Also, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't mean that weapons won't be formed, but what we do carry, the the yoke is easy and the burden is light. We are to take up our cross. So the burden, the pressure that we do feel in the presence of God, we get to make sure that that is the only thing that we're carrying. And then even though we're surrounded by enemies, it's it's kind of a cruel joke for, for the enemy to think that he can actually prosper against us. The only way he can is if we believe it and we give him that permission. So sitting at the table permanently with the Lord helps us secure this mindset that the devil's just running a cute scheme over here. He 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 might be on the line of scrimmage and, and you think that this is a game that you have to try to win with him, but he's out of bounds the whole time. He's not even on the field. He's not in the game that we're playing here. It's just what we have faith for with the Father and our communion and our connection with him. Don't don't leave the table. This was the prodigal son that ran, and this was the prideful son that was doing it all right in the field. They had left the table, and they were getting attacked out there. And the father is just saying, come back. Come back. It's all here in this place. And I wanted to, to tell Rachel um. I love where you're at and I love your your honesty of where you are and like that choking feeling that hits you like really practically learning the Bible and, and being in church and things make sure that we always have the sword of truth in our sheath, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've weaponized it. You have to weaponize the truth. And I would just suggest to you is when you're getting hit and your your mind is starting to spiral, put the truth on your lips. And a couple of things that I needed in that space of like, everybody thinks I'm crazy, go get a real job. Do you even hear from the Lord? Like I, I could, it was crazy. The things that the, the people that love me the most were my worst enemy with their words and their questions in that season. And I just had to say, I do hear from God. He does love me. I am successful. I am called. I do have a purpose. I have the righteousness of Christ in me. I'm one with the Father. We cannot be separated. And just weaponize that thing and shift. And the moment you feel that, realize the enemy's trying to hit you with a lie, and you got a counterpoint with the truth. And you, you just got to do it. And I decided I was going to make the devil really upset. I was going to train the devil. You can train the devil. I was going to train him to not mess with me or my family. How did I do that? Every time every time I realized that he made an attack against me and it worked, I immediately went to work shifting and interceding over my entire family, declaring. I would pace in my room, just, just, just declaring the word of God 
and shifting and moving things and, and not even waiting to jump back in the presence of God if I was feeling shame or condemnation or something that I did wrong, if I sinned. Just jumping right back into it because God doesn't place any limitations there. It's only us. It's only shame. It's only condemnation. It's only guilt. It's only lies of the enemy that that make us feel separated, but nothing shall separate us, right? So grab the truth and just arm it, attack back. And I, what I did is I trained the enemy to just not even mess with me because every time he messes with me, it makes his day way worse than if he just left me alone and tried somebody else today. I want to share it this. Said that Mar- it said that Martin Luther threw an inkwell at the devil and told him to go to hell. And he did. <laughs> I want to share this uh, this chapter with y'all. Um, Ephesians, the first chapter. And if you're a note taker real quick, write these notes down. Because I want you to go back and read Ephesians 1. So in Ephesians 1, there's two words that are used seven times. In him. This is a declaration of who we are. Paul's trying to tell this church, this is who we are. This is what we are because, and it all comes back to in him. So it's a declaration of who Jesus is and what we have in him. So verse three through six is all about your identity. Verse seven through 10 is all about redemption. 11 through 14 is your inheritance. 15 through 19 is power. And 20 through 23 is purpose. I want you to read those passages of what Paul is declaring to the church of Ephesians, because that is us. That's what we've been invited into. That's the adoption that we have in that. And now we walk out of what he's trying to do is we all reference a lot of things in Ephesians. Uh, We have referenced the the fivefold ministry. We reference uh, the the armor of God. We reference uh, uh, the principles and powers and the other flesh and blood is not our enemy. You can't get to any of that unless you declare this first chapter over who you are, your identity and the power and purpose that comes from it. And then in Ephesians 2, he begins to say, but we got to walk away from where we were. So as you begin to read into this, your identity, the, the sonship that we've been called into, then know that everything else that comes in the book of uh, Ephesians comes from that, that armor, that Declaration of who we are and who we're at war against. All of those things. Everybody's writing now. Kim's writing it in the chat. Yeah, I I, I took a screenshot, Kim. Thanks. That was awesome. Man, I'm so grateful for this time with you guys. And time always flies. Cooper ran over to me and he's like, it's one o'clock. I'm like, oh my gosh, is it really? Wow. It's so good. It's so rich. And time flies when we're invested in him because he's not concerned about time. (laughs) He's just concerned about our hearts and our eternal connection with him. So I'm grateful. I am super prayerful that you have an incredible, unexpected, miracle-filled Christmas. And we will be meeting next week. So you're welcome to join in with us. We're going to do some um, kind of reflection and vision casting for the new year. And um, it's going to be a great, great time together. So um, does anybody feel called to pray? Real quick, let me say this to Kim, because yeah. she said truth is her word. Mm-hmm. Trust precedes truth because you come to God with your truth. What? So you won't release your truth until you trust him. 
And then you'll be able to release your truth and grab a hold of his truth. We just changed our whole mission and vision here of church. But I said, uh, we've declared this. We will be a place where love is experienced, value is restored, truth is revealed, and people are activated. So as he, as you experience his love, he's going to restore your value. And it's in that place of trust where truth will begin to be revealed to you. So trust the relational moments. As you release something, know he'll replace it with something. So Rich, Aunt, you want to share, you want to close us out, pray us out? I definitely will. Father, we're just so thankful for this place of communion, this table that we can gather around. It doesn't look like the normal table that we've uh, become used to. But Father, in this space that the world is using, we are declaring a communion right here with you, with one another. And we're so thankful that you allow us to experience this bonding and togetherness. Father, we're thankful that in this place where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are here. We're thankful for the words that are being spoken into our lives. They're going to help unlock people that are removing the insecurities and the hold they've had on us. Father, I pray that as we walk out of one year and into the next, that you allow us to walk out of some of those things as we really begin to trust you and release the the hold that we've actually held on to in these insecurities it's in that place that you give us peace you give us comfort you give us rest you give us restoration as we are reconciled to you father i just pray over each and every one of us as we walk into this christmas season regardless of what the holiday looks like I pray that we put you on front street, that we declare you with our lives, with our actions, that we demonstrate your love to somebody over the coming days, Lord, that we can embody uh, what Jesus came to do for us, to be a walking demonstration of love, grace, and mercy, of the Father's love for those he's created, for the purpose that he's given us. So, Father, we thank you, and we just declare uh walking into 2024 that we have a village a community of people that we can do it with and we will declare your name in jesus name we pray amen this is the founder collective